Hey everybody, we back again. I'm We're Spencer, back. and of course we have our licensed clinical therapist, Nas. Dr. Nas. Dr. Nas. And this is the Different Spectrums podcast where we talk about movies, shows, and mental health that's around those movies and shows. Uh, we also like to have some laughs, so don't take us too seriously. Or do. Completely up to you. Or do. Also, don't forget to run up those likes for us. We'd really appreciate it. Also, check out Bub's Naturals and Cure Hydration. Uh, both are our sponsors for the show. Um, use our code DSP20 to get 20% off your entire order. DSP20. There you go. Yep. Um, so, yeah, check those out. And today we have a special guest. He's a licensed clinical social worker, Dr. Lakeith. Hello, everybody. Good to be here with you all. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, welcome. Awesome. Welcome. Welcome. Yes, welcome. Uh, so today we're on the show Shrinking. Uh, we're going to be talking about therapists. We're going to be talking about how they are real people too, and that they have they have lives also. I know, weird, right? Um, we're going to take a look at uh, some scenes where they are talking to some of their clients and uh, kind of breaking down who they are, and also showing just individuality, right? Individuality, which is a good thing, because not all therapists are the same. So, yeah. Uh, Naz, anything before we get into the clips? Excited to have some fun about this one. Uh, I don't think we've done a topic like this where we've talked about, like, behind the veil, the couch of being, like, a professional counselor. Obviously, people have seen me be goofy and weird on here, but I don't think we've talked about it, how it extends out. Uh, mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting for people to check this out. Uh as always, uh, everything's in the link tree. So remember, you can go in there and you can get, uh, you can send you direct links to Bubs and Cure now for the 20% off. Also, yes. the free assessments. So self assessments, anxiety, depression, autism, it's all in there. Worksheets mm -hmm. and a bunch of free apps. So go in there, check it out if you want to. If you're a clinician as well, go ahead and check it out. It's all in my Google Drive. All right. So with that, let's, uh, let's have some fun. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Do it. Hey everyone, before we get into the show, please check out our collaborator, Bubs Naturals. They sell a variety of health and wellness products, including collagen peptides, MCT oil powder, coffee, apple cider vinegar gummies, and other amazing products. Go to bubsnaturals.com and use our code DSP20 to get 20% off your entire order. I just ordered their apple cider and vinegar gummies, and I'm excited to try them. If you are looking for a high-quality, all-natural health and wellness product, Bubs Naturals is a great option. The company offers a wide variety of items that are designed to improve overall health and well-being. So go check them out, and remember to use our code DSP20 when you check out. And with that, let's get into the show. What's, uh, what's going on now? It's my mother. Again. Just once, I want to make it through one whole day without someone aggressively trying to make my life harder. It's just that, like, every time I get rid of one compulsion, another compulsion comes up, you know? Why am I always going out with superficial girls? I, I, can't, I can't connect with them. This time, it was my fault. 
I left my sunglasses at the store and he was like so mad we had to go back. Fucking barista, don't ask me to spell Dan. Turns out they weren't at the store, they were just on my head. Am I just gonna be alone? Am I just gonna be like a very successful man on my own? I can't not bite my nails if they're uneven. And how are they never gonna be even all the way? That's insane. Who's kind, someone who's smart. When I was growing up, I was her joy boy. I mean, they gotta be hot. But she's just such a bitch sometimes, it kills me. How does that make you feel? I feel like I'm stuck. Stuck. I feel stuck. I am not a joy boy. It's like I'm caught in this loop. I'm giving up being happy. And he just kept on going on and on about how dumb I am. You're not dumb, Grace. He said if it weren't for my great tits, no one would want to take care of me, so that's almost nice. It's not nice. I know, but he loves me. Not enough. Grace, we've been doing this for two years. Two years of your life. I have never seen a guy tell a woman that she is dumb and lucky she has great tits and thought to myself, wow, they must really be in love. And he keeps telling me how great he is. Well, I saw him. He's not that great. His muscles are too big. His shirts are too tight. Nobody likes that. It's gross. And what's the word? What's that word? What's the word? I don't know. What word are you talking about? Fugly. He's fugly. He's a fugly, fugly man. Fugly inside and out. I am sorry. I don't know what's happening because I was talking and... Grace, your husband is emotionally abusive. He's not working on it. He doesn't intend to. He's made you think it's all you deserve. It's not. Just fucking leave him. It's not that easy. It is that easy. You don't have any kids. Just go, go to your sister's in Vancouver. But then... Leave him or I'm done being your therapist. <laughs> Look. Okay. Okay. You're getting a fancy award. Mm. Don't be judgmental, oh, yeah. but I have a Google alert on you. That is so lame. Well, I just said very clearly, don't be judgmental. Yeah, but I didn't agree to that. That's fair. Yeah, the APA is giving me a career achievement award. Congratulations. Come on, man, it sucks. Oh, well, is there anything I can do for you in this challenging uh, time? No, it's just that I'm not ready to be put out to pasture. Can I say something? I feel you talk all the time. I do, but I'm paying you for it, so I'm good. Listen, when I came to see you over 20 years ago... 22 years ago. I was drinking too much, and my marriage had ended, and my self-esteem was so low, I spent most of my time wondering how I'm going to kill myself. And now, my life is so good that half the time I come through that door, I don't know what it is I want to talk about. <laughs> Today, I was going to talk about feeling old and wondering if I can still pull off a leather jacket. You can't. Ouch. <laughs> Listen, Paul, you spent your whole career helping people. You deserve to be celebrated for a minute. Well, there's some people that might not agree with that. <sighs> yeah, like who? Okay. Well, just know that I am very grateful. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. 
think I could pull off leather pants? No. What about a bodysuit? I think your time is up. Okay, Lisa, everybody gets feedback at work, okay? But you hear criticism at a 10 when really it's been given to you at a two. You're not wrong. Hey, you are not your mistakes. But my boss thinks I'm an idiot now. That's your mom's voice, not your boss's. You are not an idiot. You know I know that? It's because you are the shit. <laughs> I like when you curse. That's why I fucking do that shit, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why you weren't the 90 minute drive. Cause you also the shit. Lisa, this is not about me, but please don't stop. <laughs> but goddamn, 90 minutes? Yeah, it's worth it coming to see a black therapist. I don't have to explain to you about my mom's narcissism or the fact that it's not codependent that my whole family goes out to the mall with my cousin when he need a new suit. <laughs> well, we are a communal people. Thank you. <laughs> but seriously though, your family is codependent as hell. Lex's motor skills all seem great. Good. How is your emotional health? I know what's coming, you know? I try not to dwell. Whenever I need it, I put on one of my favorite sad songs and just let myself grieve for 15 straight minutes. But once my alarm beeps, I shake it off and get the fuck on with my life. And we are back again. And we're live. Like, like a worm in, in the mud. Squiggling. Good for you. Good for you. You did it. You did it. I did it. Uh, so, yes, after we just watched some clips, but uh, before that, uh, Dr. Lakeith, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes, thank you. So, my name is Lakeith Sutton. I'm a licensed clinical social worker in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. I oh. have been a social worker for 11 years, but a therapist for six of those 11 years. And I own and operate a private practice with my older brother called Forest Therapeutics Counseling Consulting Services. Mm -hmm. uh, target specifically African American community in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. So we get clients from the District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia, and even because I'm such an overachiever, even get some clients from Pennsylvania because, yes, I'm also licensed in Pennsylvania. In the words of my mother, I do the absolute most, both professionally and personally. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we just work with the community, try to make mental health affordable, accessible. Uh, initially, it was a practice that just started out with me and my brother, and now by the grace of something bigger than us, has expanded itself to a team of about five clinicians. So we're really just kind of focusing in on really one, educating the public on mental health, but then two, also saying like, hey, you know, we're here, we're accessible. Uh, even if our respective caseloads may be full, we still work with clients who call seeking therapy by calling some of our colleagues that we know who may possibly have openings and saying like, hey, we don't have an opening, but such and such does. And you might want to reach out to them within the next 24 hours before that slot's taken. So really just trying to make sure that everybody gets services, whether it's from us or whether it's from another one of our colleagues that we feel as though is actually able to help. So right. yeah, still been having a fun time, you know, just therapizing as one of my clients says, and the uh, DVD. I did not know that. Look at you. You're kind of living the dream. You're working with your brother. Well, as long as you like your brother, you could hate your brother, you know. <laughs> 
it took it, it took a lot of years to, for us to get to this point. But actually, like that's my best friend. It's literally probably since we started, not a day that goes by where either I'm not talking to him on the phone, FaceTiming him, emailing him, texting him. It's quite a beautiful thing, but at the same time, extremely annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick. You're alive still? Jesus. Damn. I know. Look, I know more about what's going on with him than I know about some of the clients that I work with, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it does speak to the level of communication that I have with my brother. I'm sure. It's ten o'clock. So did you? Uh, sure. Did you have a good bathroom break? Ten o'clock. Exactly. Are you eating the fiber? I've I've noticed you're off schedule today. <laughs> <laughs> this is strange. What were you doing last night? Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> I I'm not gonna lie. That is uh, technically kind of the dream that hopefully I can fulfill with my brother and pops in Michigan in the next uh, coming years, is to start branching out and have some of the folks out on the pod uh, start being part of this this autism clinic um, mm. in the Detroit metropolitan area. So it's kind of cool that someone's doing it. Uh, right. That means there's hope. There's faith. I right. mean it, it. It's a short, uninteresting story. And long story short, how all this came to happen, I can never forget it. It was back in 2013. My brother and I have always lived independent, separate lives, just doing our own things. That led me straight into college, from undergrad to graduate school, and that led him to the military and actually going that route as far as like an edu education. Yep. And like most good conversations for siblings, what does this happen? In my mother's living room, well, our mother's living room. And I just happened to be coming about the house to check up on her, see how he's doing. And he's in town visiting from North Carolina. And I just remember yep. just walking in and seeing see my, my periphery. I was like, yo, what's good? He's like, yo, what's good? He's like, whoa, mom mentioned that you're in school actually finishing up your master's. And she says you're going to be a therapist. I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, dude, that's weird. Because like I just finished my master's in psychology. And now I'm going to do this PhD program in counseling education. And I wanted to do therapy too. And we never really talked about it in depth, but we kept that in our mental Rolodex. And then fast forward, I think two or three years after that, it was just like, well, you've been thinking about it. I like, I've been thinking about it too. So you think we should go into, he's like, I think we should go into business together. And here we are. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 I'm just going to DM my friends on Facebook. I see you're going to work with me or my father's going to break your legs. Uh, that's my plan. That works too. Yeah. Yeah, threaten your friends. That's how it yeah. goes. Yeah, yeah I'm going to no, be like, well, if my pop catches you in the wheelchair, you know, you're mine. So if you can't run yeah. away from him. <laughs> well, excited yeah. to have you on the pod, man. It's really exciting and it's a pleasure. It's an honor. That's awesome to hear your story. Honestly, it was really cool. All right. So kind of getting back into shrinking. Uh, what made you want to do this show? So with shrinking... I fell in love with the series, I'm not gonna lie. After the first episode, I was hooked. I was like, oh, this is gonna be a fun ride or adventure for two reasons. One, I love that particular brand of humor. I am a big Jason Siegel fan, and not to mention the fact that also, no surprise, millennial. Big Harrison Ford fan because Indiana Jones was just like all of my childhood, all three sequels. Um, so when this came on, it was like, you know, I was automatically kind of sucked in. 
but then also in watching the first episode, you know, looking at it both from uh, a perspective of just a viewer, but also as a clinician, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun because that that, that clinician's hat is going to come on just to kind of assess and watch this and say, that's accurate. That's not. Right. That's good practice. That's not only unethical, you could probably get arrested for that. Um, so I just kind of got pulled in because I wanted to see uh, what direction all of this went. And much to my satisfaction, uh, I was very pleased all the way up until the uh, season finale. And I will say that this show is probably one of the best depictions from a satirical standpoint of what it is to be a clinician, what it means to be a professional who's in the business of helping other people heal, but also what does it mean to be a human being who's also messy, who doesn't have their stuff together and struggles every day to try to get things together. Right. I think I wanted to add, uh, and and this is a personal thing about watching therapist shows, specifically with men uh, as the therapist or counselor, it's gonna sound weird, but it's gruesome or whatever, but it is what it is. I'm finally glad that neither one of the men in the movie had sex with their client. Like every time you see a therapist, they're having sex with their client. If it's a dude and I'm just like, you gotta be shitting me. Uh, and I know, I know it's a personal thing, but I always watch it and I see it and all these therapy things. And the dude's always a sociopath taking advantage of his clients. And here, both of them are sweethearts. You know, obviously one's going through some, a long stuff and Parkinson's and the other one's, I mean, long story short, right? His wife died. He's an extreme amount of grief, right? It's his best friend, his person. Uh, but I'm just glad they were good people. Uh, you keep seeing all these dudes be terrible on TV, and it's like, am I destined to be a piece of shit? Right. Like, I used to be one. I feel like Mrs. Doubtfire. I used to be one. <laughs> uh, so that was one thing I really enjoyed about it. Now he's really accurate, really awesome. The characters are awesome. One of the female leads, I'm literally in love with. If that was an actual human being, like I would, I would stalk them. I'm, just, I'm just gonna be honest. I don't know what else to say other than stalk. Yeah. Uh, and there's a creepy factor. There it goes. <laughs> there it is. Oh, um, little, because oh, Jessica uh, Williams is an awesome comedian and actress. Yeah, in the yeah. most loving, affirming way. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like to be just there to protect her. Yeah. Right, I'm, okay. I'm so fat and tired, though. I'd probably never go through with anything because I'm just too tired. So. <laughs> okay, and then there's the sadness. There it goes. There it is. Let's continue with the scene. <laughs> yes. So, um, do you, either one of you mind giving us an overview of what the show is, um, and then kind of what the first scene is? Oh, certainly. So the overview of the show is you pretty much get a glimpse into this private practice, a cognitive behavioral therapy center located in California. Uh, You get a glimpse of this private practice with three clinicians through the eyes of Jason Siegel, who has recently experienced a tragedy of losing his wife and how he has just completely, he's going through, as you can imagine, the cycles of grief, just really kind of working through it. And through that grief, you get introduced to what who he is, which is a therapist, the practice that he works at with two other clinicians, uh, played by uh, Jessica Williams and Harrison Ford. And from there, you see his interactions both with his colleagues, with his patients, and with his family. And the show just really kind of shows you the life of this particular clinician, both professionally and personally, and how the professional can impact the personal and how the personal can impact the professional. Yes. And his life is very much intertwined with the people 
that he works with, but also uh, the people that he loves. That includes his team of clinicians. That includes his daughter, who's wonderful. He has hilarious neighbors who are very much involved in his life. Oh, uh, yeah. Best friend that he's trying to make amends with and figure some things out. You really kind of get this view of a clinician's life based off of where they are in their particular journey, in his case, his journey through grief and how that's shaping things around him. And it gives us like a fun adventure to kind of experience what it is that he's experienced with all these people. Yep. And so the scene, I'll take over here from the scene. Um, The scene itself is a little, little backstories. This is episode one, the first scene. And so you see him on a bender and his neighbor's like, Hey, turn down the music. So he's doing a bunch of drugs, staying up, and you don't know that he's a therapist yet, right? I thought he was going to be the one in therapy. Um, and then you see that there's some grief stuff going on. And then next thing you know, he's in the office. Uh, hmm. And now he's sitting there listening to his clients. And he's got probably five or six of them. I think that we see probably five in that clip, which is a, a pretty heavy day. You're supposed to really only see about five. And then mentally, that's the studies have been shown. That's where you check out after five. But he's seeing his clients, he's hearing all their same repetitive stuff. He's kind of like zoned out. He's feeling like trash, completely hungover. He, he was just with some hookers, so he might have some STIs coursing through him too. Now, well, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge. Uh, <laughs> you know, do what you got to do. Um, uh, and so we see a snapshot of him kind of getting fed up with listening to people. And so one specific client of his, um, young woman there, she is in an abusive relationship. But not physically, but mentally, emotionally, um, put down all the time. Uh, partner is very derogatory towards her, her looks, her intelligence. She accepts it as we see the story arc over the show. Um, it looks like she's starting to build some resilience and some confidence. She's starting to get power and she's setting some boundaries. But she has this thing where she always wants to do good by people and people to like see her in a positive light. Um she looks like a wonderful individual, but she believes that she is not worthy of really anything. So she allows herself to get crapped on. And you see him, the character. Um, he's like, hey, I'm sick of this shit. I'm done. He's freaking out. He wigs out and says, you know, he treats you like trash. We've been going over this for two years, Grace. Two two years. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? I've been in this position as a therapist. So we're, so we're not breaking up with them. Okay. 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 Uh, And it's kind of miserable. And then he makes this stupid thing, which is unethical. If you don't break out with him, I'm done with you as my client. I'm cutting you off. And so I think that's what we're going to talk about. Maybe some ethical stuff now. Uh, Technically, him blowing up on her, it was inappropriate. Can it happen? Yeah. Can you act like that with someone? Yeah. But if they're like consenting to it and playing along with it, or maybe you have that relationship with them, but she was completely caught off guard. I have a wonderful story for this, but we'll wait. Um, so I remember doing this with a client, but I said, what do you want? So do you want me to be aggressive and angry like everyone else? Cause I can do that. It was funny. The interaction afterwards, I'll explain it. Um, so, I'm going to kick a dispense real quick to get your thoughts on the scene, and then we'll go back to Dr. Lakeith. You yeah. see him as this therapist, right? What, what, you, what, you, what, you think, what, what were you thinking about? Just thinking about how it's, at that point, he was more of 
trying he was more of like a friend role than like a therapist i guess um that was kind of like my first thoughts because i feel like a lot of people or friends in your life kind of either want to say it or have said that to them um now i don't think a lot of the time that you're going to get her response just being like okay yeah all right well that'll happen It, it gets more into like they're starting to like defend their loved one instead of actually kind of digging a little bit more deeper and realizing that um that what they're doing to them is wrong and they probably shouldn't be with them um and it's always funny when he said that he was when she said like it's not that easy just to leave when he's like yeah it is you don't have any kids with him you could literally just go to your sister's house it's the easiest thing ever um and I find it funny when, like, I have friends that do that same thing with loved ones that are just probably not right for them, um, or they're just, um, or maybe they should just move on and be by themselves for a while, right? Um, and it's always interesting. You tell them, like, yeah, this person's probably not good for you. And they're like, well, actually, they've been there for all these other moments in my life. And you're like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that they're right for you. Just because you have like a couple good moments with somebody just doesn't mean that overall it's the best for you. And sometimes that's tough um, to really kind of get to them. So um, from that aspect, uh, I totally see, you know, from the outside in, it's totally like, yeah, I think you probably should have said that because um, maybe that's the wake up call she needed. Right. So, Who knows? yeah. Um, and I'm kind of interested in knowing from like a clinician's uh, viewpoint on what y'all thought of it. Would you like me to go or would you like to go first? No, you go. We always <laughs> kick it back to you. Gotcha. Okay. So in watching this scene, one, it, it was funny because as a clinician, uh, depending on what you have going on personally, depending on what your clients have going on, how long you've been working with them, you can, because you're human, you can reach a point where like you really get frustrated, right? Mm-hmm. Really do get frustrated as far as like, I have been here listening to you for two years, talk about this, and we have not made any headway. There's nothing wrong with that. The issue was the approach. Now, how he handled it, I'm not going to lie awful <laughs> just awful you cannot give an ultimatum to no. a client because the fact that that can be interpreted in so many different ways one yep. your client can internalize it oh so now i'm in this other dynamic with you to where as though i don't do what makes you happy with me or proud of me or making you feel as though that you've got success with me you're going to terminate me so this relationship it's conditional and to a certain extent therapy it is a conditional relationship because at some point you have to graduate from therapy but mm-hmm. it's conditional in the wrong way in this context it's conditional on you as my clinician feeling good that i'm doing something that makes you feel good that's that's a huge problem mm-hmm. um secondly in it is the fact that i don't think that he's quite yet picked up on really maybe how deep this relationship is not in the sense of like love but more so in the sense of this is how pervasive maybe the abuse is to where it's difficult for her to conceptualize how i guess quote unquote easy it is to leave and walk away because if it was indeed the case she would have done it and therapy would not be a thing that she would need but the fact that she's still coming and she's seeing you two years later that speaks more so to the fact that wow this is something that you are really 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 struggling with and it's extremely difficult for you to leave so you keep coming back here because you're looking for something now in that instance, if I was frustrated with the client, 
one, definitely not giving the ultimatum, but I definitely would bring that to the table. But not in the sense of like, it's their thing. It's more so a thing of, well, my thing, but saying like, look, after working with you for two years, I have to be transparent. I'm afraid that maybe we're not making headway for the fact that you're still in this relationship where this man still degrades you and talks down to you. And I want to make sure, one, that I'm providing the services that you need to feel more empowered to be able to leave, or two, kind of figure out what it is at this particular stage in your life, in our relationship, in this therapy that you really want to do. Because it stands right now, leaving doesn't seem to be it. But we have to figure out what it is that we're doing if we're going to continue to work together. Because if that means that it has shifted to where so you don't want to leave and you're still trying to figure out how to tolerate his behaviors, then okay, we have to change what treatment's going to look like or maybe even work with you to find another clinician who may be better able to handle the situation if I'm too emotionally invested in it. But you can't, and I can't emphasize this enough, you cannot give your clients an ultimatum like that as in like, oh, well, it's either going to be me or the other person. That's right. probably going to further traumatize them because if they feel al- that you're aligned with them and you care about them and then you give them this option, it's going to make them feel as a, oh my goodness, like what are you doing? You're supposed to be my person. You're supposed to help me. And now you're telling me you're going to toss me aside because I'm struggling to let go of this other relationship. It's just, it's not, it's not good practice. Wow. Uh, I like your, your approach would have been perfect for majority of the clients would have been perfect. Um, I probably would have found some of the same words as well, uh, just articulated it a smidge different. Uh, but it would have been the same theme. Is what do we? I would see what are we doing here? Uh, you know, I would say well, money wise, you know, you I keep taking your money, but I don't feel good doing that. What What are you getting out of this relationship? You say it's not easy. Let's talk about why it's not easy. Let's talk about all the different versions of you that could have left in this multiverse, and which and what would they have done? What could we do that she did? I would have went multiverse on that. I also would have went economics on that. Um, and I would have said, hey, man, I would have brought it a little personal. I say, you keep coming with this stuff. It doesn't feel good as a human to hear these things. It doesn't feel good to know that you're hitting your head against the wall all the time. It hurts. I'm your therapist. I'm trying to take these things. But if I hurt for you, what are you going to, what do you want to do? Because I know you must be hurting. And maybe you're not hurting. Maybe you're fine with this. But the question is, is why would you be fine with this behavior? Why would you be fine with this behavior? And that's usually where I go with it is, you know, this is poor. Why would you be fine? I would probably go the Spence route in one direction. Uh, and I've done this before is if, if you were your homegirl, your homeboy's friend, you would tell him to leave his ass. You would. You would. And 99% of the time we can't take our own advice. Uh, but we know truthfully that we should leave that individual, that situation, that job, that, you know, that context, maybe that family gathering when you haven't set your boundaries with your crazy ass uncle, whatever it is. Um, okay. and, you know, Thanksgiving when everyone's talking shit and you're like, I don't want to be part of this. A lot of my neurodivergent clients that have an inability, they don't have their confidence yet to say like, hey, I don't want to be at the social gathering for more than 10 minutes because I get overstimulated. Well, I don't like how you leave the room. I'm using a fake name, Rebecca. I don't like how you uh, go outside, you get fresh air, and you go for a 10-minute walk, Timothy. Well, that's because their therapist told them for you to even engage in that type of thing, you have to have your downtime to regulate. But a lot of my clients won't set those boundaries um, because they are scared. So let's switch off of that. I have a funny story because Spencer knows me. People on the podcast know me. I may not be the most ethical person. Um, 
I've got this loaded. I got this loaded dice in my office. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! So I said oh, it no. is. It is. It is. It hits a, uh, what do I got? It's a seven or 11. It's a seven or 11. You got to do your homework and whatever it is, relationship, but actual physical homework. They got to go to the Dean's office, whatever it is. They got to talk, send an email seven or 11. You got to do your homework seven. And you're like, fuck. I said, we do two out of three. I see. I'll let you roll them this time. Then they roll them. 11. I'm like, oh, looks like you got to do your homework. And, they, and then the smart ones will be like, wait a minute. <laughs> you'll see. The smart ones will see. It's very nice. Damn, I try to just keep him. I need to go to the casino or something. I'm telling you, boy, I've had some people. I remember one person's face literally dropped. I have a good relationship with someone. I forgot who the individual was. I said, real quick, when we did the homework thing, it said, 7 or 11, you never find love. <gasps> 7. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's over. I guess we don't need therapy life. anymore. We're terminated. <laughs> oh my God. Um, FYI, Lucky, we have some fun on here. You do not have to co sign any of this. That way you can maintain yeah, that, your professionalism. Like, uh, I don't agree with this at all. <laughs> Look, look, I'm all for getting clients to interact with in ways that aren't necessarily traditional. So, hey, if it works, it works. It works, it works. He's a grifter think... at this point. He's not even a therapist. He's I'm just like, a grifter. Hey, man, which card is the queen? Which card is the queen? <laughs> None of them are queens. Hey, the thing is, I don't even know if it works. I'm just doing it. <laughs> oh. hey, that's just your own entertainment at that point. Right. I'm not going to. That's one fun thing about us neurodivergent folks. We have a lot of fun in here, and we don't really need anyone else to play along. We are in our own world. Yeah, as long as you're having fun, that's it. That's all you need. Um, I have a question okay. real quick. Um, what What did you think of when he started going at the boyfriend's looks, like he's fugly over and over again? Like, I want to know. Can you, as a therapist, tell them, like, yeah, your boyfriend is fugly. Like... Me personally, I, so I'm going to therapist hat back on and being professional. I would never, I would never say anything like he did in the room. I know that I would probably be fired if they complained. Um, yeah. And that's just downright derogatory, just saying anything uh, labeling about anyone. Like uh, beauty is always in the eye of the beholder. Um, personality, whatever it is. Whenever I'm talking about clients and trying to define what are they attracted to, mm-hmm. it's the whole gamut of things. Um, and many of my neurodivergent folks, it isn't even looks half the time. Um, or gender or genitalia, right? We're looking at many other things that is deeper than that. So who am I to say someone is fugly? He was really mm-hmm. pissed off. He was throwing shit at the wall, see what landed, see what stuck. Right. Uh, but I would never comment on anyone's partner or size or color, any of that. I would never, I just wouldn't do that. Even if it was my friends here, I have yeah. no right to comment on my partner or my friend's partner. That's off limits. Uh, you can go with Keith. No, I 100% agree. It's a situation where, one, I get what he was getting at in that scene and why it's probably put in there, because I know that some clinicians, they have um, a different type of rapport with different clients. So whereas, though, you could give that type of feedback and True. you recognize it's like, oh, well, they're cool with that. It's not a big deal. But for best professional practices, no, talking about someone's appearance 
nah, not, not, not good business. And not to mention the fact that uh, if we're in a space where we're more so focusing on the partner's behavior, that's mm -hmm. what we have to focus in on. Because it wasn't what they looked like that got you into the space. It was how they treated and how they behaved towards you. That's what the... Uh, the focus is, but I can see why for comedic effect. Yeah, if right. that, it's ugly. It's okay. one of those words that's you know funny when you hear it, even though it's like a, what a two thousand three like Mean Girls term that I haven't heard yeah. against it's this show. So, cute. yeah, I uh, I oh no, I'm gonna say this. Uh, being a male. Uh, clinician, it just don't even go anywhere near it. I don't care what gender it is. If you're a male clinician, a male clinician of color, which there are not many, anything that you may say or do or interactions could be held more nasty without good intent. And so just be cautious of that. Be cautious if right. you make any comments about these things too with your coworkers about looks or anything like that. Right? You may think like a lot of people are like friends or the oh, they'll get your humor because, you know, or maybe they're like they know I'm neurodivergent and like no, uh, don't 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 go there. If you know you don't have that very specific relationship with someone in therapy or even a friend, be very cautious. Uh, specifically, if you're a person of color and someone a larger or just a male in general, um, I would be very scared for anyone. Uh, if I was coaching anyone up in the workplace, don't go there. Um, can you imagine if you said it to one of your friends though? Like yeah, man. You'll get ugly as hell. I don't know how my boy would take that. But that's the thing. I think it was a little bit, it's a little bit different. Because if it was, um, like, if he was talking to a guy and he was telling, you know, his, that his girl's fugly, that's one thing. But I think because she's a woman being like, your dude is fugly. Like, it's a little bit different. It doesn't hit as hard as it okay. does I um, when you're talking about women or as when you're talking about men. Because, you know, I can be called fugly. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> you know? So th there's a gender, there's a, what am I looking for? A gender, not bias, but uh, there's a difference in genders. And so yeah. where men can maybe be more fugly or more dad bod and then, oh, it's the person that he's funny. That's what I get. He's, <laughs> he's funny looking and just funny. I probably get more hurt when they say I'm not funny. I'm just like, oh, okay. No, that's just yeah. mean. I'm not going to lie. That would be, they're like, you're actually not funny. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Why <laughs> would you say that to me? You, call, you could have called me the ugliest person on earth. Wouldn't have been as bad as you saying I'm not funny because we both know I am. So you're just hurt 100%. at that point. You're just yeah. hurt. You're just hurt people hurt others. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Good question, though. Yeah. Definitely a good question. Um, so I'm going to do a question here. Yeah. So because the next thing we're talking about kind of them is being like really good therapists and we're going to get into them and their own personal like stuff and how they still are good therapists. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to kick it to the Keith. Uh, so for others that are maybe going to watch the show, what are some of the other unethical things that you see his character do? Maybe his friend do, maybe Harrison Ford do. What are some other things in the show that you're like, hmm, because we don't have enough time to show all the scenes. But what were some of the things you're like, Ugh, yikes, cringe? Okay, well, one, you see in the first episode, uh, coming to work after a bender. No, 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 no. Uh, you're coming into your place of employment 
impaired. I'm drunk right now. Not, yeah, yeah, right? So, so you don't want to do that. Maybe interviews, podcast interviews, that's fine. You can come to podcast interviews <laughs> impaired. That's cool. But when you're actually going to sit across someone who's actually dealing with mental health issues uh, or relationship issues or whatever issues that may be coming in for, you probably don't want to do that with maybe only two hours of sleep painkillers and alcohol in your system that that that's a big no-no that that will definitely uh get you fired get your license yanked and could possibly lead to some other charges if you decide if you go in there and get some pretty bad advice so there's that uh secondly as yeah. we get further into the season we find out that the uh, jimmy the jason siegel character actually allows one of his patients to move in with them Oof. that is i can't emphasize how big of a no no that is because yeah. the fact that now you're introducing a client into your personal life which is in turn going to influence their level of care which is also going to in turn how you engage with them and it's going to be this whole thing that we call transference and counter transference is going to be happening in that dynamic and no real meaningful healing is going to occur so if your clinician ever says you should move in with me run <laughs> run for the hills <laughs> Run to the police, run to the mountain, run somewhere. That's the, that, that's not gonna that's not gonna be a good idea. That's not if, gonna. No, if you can't run, walk, you know, if you just say wheel yourself out of there because we yes. know. Yeah, whatever the means are, just, just, just leave. Yeah. So yeah. that um, later on, it, it, okay, later on you find out that he's engaging in a relationship with one of his coworkers, which. Isn't necessarily an ethical thing, but it can be if you're not checking for it. As in, you know, hey, there's no there's no rule that says like as a therapist, I can't date another therapist that works at my agency. No rule whatsoever. But if we're not mindful of where that exchange occurs, or mindful of the fact that like uh we don't want those personal interactions or feelings, whatever it is, where things are going well, where things are going bad. To spill over into work we have to be very mindful of that otherwise we do enter like this unethical space where it's kind of like imagine showing up to work and you're a client and you're watching these two clinicians just having like this really bad interaction with each other and put each other in a bad mood and then you walk into the room and your therapist is in a bad mood and you're thinking to yourself what the hell was that and what is going on here you don't want anything personal no. uh to really spill over into someone else's treatment I mean, there is this thing that we have about self-disclosure as far as like when a clinician uses themselves as a tool to kind of connect with their client or help their client, but that should use very sporadic, very rarely, very sporadically, and yeah. only in circumstances where it's really needed to help the client contextualize or understand uh, a certain uh, experience or certain uh, viewpoint. But yeah. there were a couple of red flags throughout the season that had me thinking to myself, how does this man still have his license? And the cool thing is, even with the Harrison Ford character, uh, uh, Dr. Rhodes, he would come in because he's like this, he's like this sage mentor, seasoned clinician who's very sardonic, hilarious, who kind of comes in and pretty much in almost every other episode is looking at Jimmy like, like, what the fuck? Yes. <laughs> Didn't I tell you? Just like my father. Exactly. He's like a he's he is just like a like a therapist father. father. Coming in saying, yeah. What the fuck are you doing with this client? Perpetually you disappointed. <laughs> so, so even so it's good. So I'm glad that the show 
was anchored in actually understanding there are some ethical things here that we need to probably acknowledge to let people know, hey, your therapist probably shouldn't do that. And that's where um, I would say the Harrison Ford character really came into play because he's the person that they know, oh, if I mention this to them, him, he's going to check me and kind of contextualize why it's problematic. Uh, by also kind of demonstrating with his character the balance of, you know, my personal life and my professional life um, and how to kind of keep those two separate. But even with that character, which we can discuss later on, um, there's a price to pay for um, compartmentalizing and maybe focusing more so on one area than the other area of your life. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. I agree with that for sure. Um, I would say another thing is, is uh, do you remember the woman's uh, name in the show? Uh, the other therapist, black woman, the therapist or no? Um, Gabby. Gabby. Yep. Okay. So Gabby, um, all of them got stuff. We're going to talk about that after we look at the next two scenes, but I know for me, it gets un. I feel like I have to defer or refer out or I have to go home and therapize myself is, you know, life happens and you, you, sometimes it's hard to stay focused in session. It's hard to be like in the moment because I'm thinking of this bills or this drama or this person's healthcare. Right. And it pulls you out and I can't even like pay attention because I keep, keep getting pulled away mentally. Um, eventually I can lock in, but sometimes it's hard not to, uh, if I was her going through a divorce going through supporting her partner that was an addict and then the right, everything breaks loose. And now she's talking to someone else and it's just a lot there. And she's like such a good person, wants everyone to be happy, wants Harrison Ford to be happy, wants the other dude to be happy. I feel like if I was her, I would be so burned out and so tired that I know I wouldn't be able to give anything to my clients. And so it's internally unethical. So she doesn't do anything outright terrible. Um, but I know it would be hard for me to focus if I was in her shoes. If I was the main character, uh, Siegel's character, if I'm dealing with grief, there's no way I should be accepting clients with like a loss right there in the moment. Um, if you can do it, awesome. But if you can't, you can't. It's even weird for me now to deal with clients with grief because of the folks I've lost in the last five years. It's just... It's, the good thing is, is I know all the ins and outs damn near. And, I, you know, because I've experienced all these different stages. And so I can help guide people th really through it. But at work, they just put another one on my case, though. And I'm, so I'm, I'm, I, I said, I'm done. Uh, and there's no more for at least a couple months until I get a couple off of my list. There can only be so much family death that I can experience. I can't have these people. It's too much. It's too triggering for me. And the last thing is, is uh, tying into all this. I can't work with kids, man. They're too innocent. Uh, the too, the too loving. This, this too vulnerable to the world, to family. And so I've noticed when I work with kids and I go into the elementaries to like volunteer and stuff, and they're all over me and they're having fun and laughing and we're playing. And they'll be like, "You, you're coming back tomorrow, right?" And like I know I'm not coming back because my volunteering is done. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm coming back. See you tomorrow, Jeffrey." Uh. Cause I'm not good with, I'm not good with goodbyes and, uh, and I, yeah. And I don't want to give people bandwidth issues, but then you're going to abandon them anyway. So I'm just hoping they'll just forget tomorrow because they'll be distracted by some other white guy. I don't know. Um, ah, <laughs> oh, white man. I see you. There Mr. You white Nas. I'm distracted. <laughs> He's not Nothing as good. Nothing else can get in my way. No. Oh, look at this guy. He's the unseasoned Nas. 
<laughs> this is the blandest chicken I've ever had. <laughs> we call it butter chicken. <laughs> Ain't no salt on this. No, it's just butter. No, it's just burnt chicken. Yeah, jeez, it's great. It's burnt too. Um, and, and all jokes aside, I uh, I just know. And so someone asked me the other day. They said, "Now, nah, so you're going to chase your dream, right?" I said, "Yes." You're going to build that community center working with neurodivergent folks and kids, right? Kids? And I said, not with kids. I can't do the kids. I said, I got some friends that are going to take over the little ones. I can be around, but I can't be in the moment with it. I'm going to, I'm going to lose it. And just talking about it, I start to deregulate. I can't do it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. So I defer and refer out, and I can have that on my team with social workers and case management, but I can't be that person. So in this show, I think it's unethical for any therapist to if there's too many impending things and if you feel like you're getting triggered all the time, then maybe you need to get some therapy and take, take a step away. Um, that's what I was thinking outside the box. Mm-hmm. Obviously him having homeboy move in literally fucking cringe every single moment. Can you imagine if that was a woman that you had move in? You're, you're talking about, you know, you're going to be on Rutgers Island real soon. Cause you're going to be incarcerated. Uh, so yeah. 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 Look, if you can see it, he's like, yeah, it's not good. So, a lot of weird unethical things. Uh, and then we'll get into some other stuff in a second. Um, did you have any more questions, Spence? Otherwise, we'll get into the next scene. Yeah. Um, this is more on both of your um, personal lives more than anything. Um, do you find it easy to kind of switch off from your professional life when you're just interacting with somebody on a personal level, just, you know, um, instead of kind of analyzing things, is that easy to turn off for you as therapists um, individually? Um, Or do you kind of find yourself not really enjoying like a moment or even like a, a show or things like that, because you're kind of analyzing it from that therapist viewpoint? Um, yeah, love to get to know. I will be honest and say, oh, it's easy. Now it is. Mm-hmm. Now it is. When I was younger, and and I think it goes more to ego. Um, when I was younger, it was a case of it was difficult because I felt the need to always kind of be like, yo, let me test my skills. Let me show how how yeah. oh, yes, I am indeed a therapist, and like I can assess and I can identify and diagnose and symptomology and all that other jazz so it was Mm. difficult because i wanted to be impressive i wanted to be validated because i would just uh, a provisionally licensed clinical social worker just trying to make my way and find my voice and wanted people to validate me as like i'm a therapist i'm a legit therapist you're trying to license now understand boundaries understand ethics as far as the fact that like i'm not interested in diagnosing anybody that i do not work with on a regular basis nor am i interested in trying to kind of pathologize them or go over their symptoms i don't mind if people want to come up and ask me my opinion on something they may be going through but when i have clocked out of work i am regular regular lakeith sutton i'm not trying to be a clinician i'm not trying to analyze people's problems i'm not trying to do anything like anything like that at all i've spent the majority of the day doing doing that so now sure. that I'm in personal life, I have to give that its proper due diligence before mm-hmm. that turns into a shit show. So when that when that switch goes off, it's really off. And it's more so just me being my regular, kind-hearted, but also selfish self as far as like, I'm I'm not your therapist. I'm me. Let me have my bourbon. Enjoy it in peace. Be blessed. Oh, bourbon. Okay. <laughs> I got a little stomach uh, acid reflux just hearing that word, bourbon. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> sponsored by Pepto Bismol. <laughs> We're not sponsored they will by be them. A sponsor one day. One day <laughs> they have to be with my stomach. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> um. Uh, it depends. Um, mm. as and you're not going this route. You didn't go this route, but I, I think uh, being a brown, uh, large dude, I'm always assessing. I've been assessing since I was a kid, uh, so it's never really shut off because it's always on. Um, right. Assessing threats, assessing money, cost, uh, the anxiety that I'm wired with is always assessing. I'm always technically assessing, mm -hmm. just depending on how am I diagnosing other people. Not necessarily, but I'm still somewhat assessing people as if I see them a threat or not to me or my family financially, right? Uh, you know, every little interaction technically is a small assessment because, like, there's people getting shot these days. So, um, yeah. therapeutically, though, I don't really think that I'm therapizing my friends. Like, I'm pretty much in the moment, vibing, chilling. Um, yeah. Now, my clients will creep into my mind, though. So my friends have asked me this. So are you like therapizing us and like assessing us? I'm like, yeah, I might have, but like, I'm not now. We're just vibing. Like, we're just, yeah. like, I've already known you for 10 years, 15 years. Like, I don't need to say, if I did assess you, that was 10 years ago. Um, but my clients will creep into my head. Something will trigger it. I'm watching a show or maybe I saw an email pop up, like something will trigger it uh, or a funny meme. Or I'm like, Oh, I'm going to show this in therapy in a couple of days. Cause this person's going to really laugh at this. Cause my clients, we have the relationship where they know they, I like memes and I, some of them follow our podcast. Um, yeah. I don't follow them back. They follow us. And many of my clients will send me e emails, memes, videos, reels. Like, I think you'll really like this. Or I think this is you or look at this thing on ADHD because you know, I work with a lot of neurodivergent folks. We do not always communicate with our words, hence why I like the, the name Lost for Words Therapy. This is why we created this podcast. And so people will send me things, and sometimes it triggers some stuff. I can easily shut it off, but it does get triggered on. The only time where I can't shut it off is when it's pretty traumatic. And there's a lot of trauma throughout the week. And then it's harder to shut it off, and then I start to deregulate towards you know my drive home. Mm-hmm. That's the only time when I can't shut it off is when it's just too traumatic of too many stories. Um, so then I'll talk to my father about something. And I'd be like, I just, uh, I don't mean this, but I just, I just hope everyone dies. And he's like, well, geez, a bad day. I said, I just, humans are sickening. Uh, so those are the days I can't shut it off. Right. Doesn't happen often, but like some days it will come home and I'm just like, there's no... When that asteroid in 2050 is supposed to come, I'll be, I'll be very thankful. Everyone on the podcast that has anxiety, it probably Man. won't happen, but statistically, it's, I mean, eventually it's going to happen. <laughs> Everyone on the podcast with anxiety, poof, they're just panic attack. Well, won't be thinking about that anytime soon. No. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is you can leave your partner now because in a couple of years it won't matter. Uh, this is not advice. We do not give advice on this podcast. No, this is not but, serious. You know, if it happens, it happens. What are you going to do? <laughs> but to kind of, kind of piggyback off of what Dr. Nas said, yeah. I will say every once in a while, and maybe this happens to you because I know it happens to me, every once in a while, I'll have a client or a situation that's client that's going is going through. And even though I may have cut my, my brain off as far as like being the therapist, 
every once in a while, I'll find myself in the middle of something where I'm really trying to either figure out how to approach the situation, how to treat it, yep. how to interact with it, how to engage with it. So it'd be, the thing is, it'll be at weird times. It's like, oh, I'm brushing my teeth. This popped up in my head. Okay. Or I'm washing dishes. I'm cutting grass. I'm at the grocery store. I'm, it, it, it could be whatever it is that's random, and all of a sudden, it just kind of pops up in your head. And when that does happen to me, those are usually the moments where I realize that I'm probably not at peace with whatever it is that's either happening in the situation, that or I'm not at peace with something that I'm not handling appropriately or effectively in the situation with the client. So those are the things I will admit they kind of creep through because it's a case of, okay, I could deal with if we had a tough session and you didn't agree with what I said, that's fine. And that doesn't bother me because you're not supposed to. But it's more so when we have a session and maybe it was tough and you walked away and you didn't feel understood or you walked away and you felt like I wasn't effective or I walked away and I feel so I wasn't effective. I think about it in the context of like, okay, I don't want that to dampen the work that we're doing together. Uh, but more importantly, try to figure out, okay, how do I help them? So those, sometimes I will admit those instances when you get those particular cases, particularly yes. ones are really, really, really complex. Um, and I can see why Dr. Nas is like, the kids, the kids are always the ones they, they stick with you throughout the day because the vulnerability, it's what they don't know just by way of age and development and whatever situation that they're in that they can't really control because it's the adults in their lives that are shaping it. Mm -hmm. Those will be the ones that will really bother you or kind of creep up on you when you're not trying to think about anything that you're just stuck trying to figure out from where you are in your role as a clinician. What can I do? Yeah. I can't stay in empathy uh, when I'm working with the young or I'm in the schools. I can't stay. I always go into the sympathy and doom and gloom because I'll see things and I, I start to project because that's what I do. I project out what's going to happen when they go home and I see the way a kid is getting grabbed and how they're getting yelled at as they leave. And I know what's going to happen when that kid goes home. And I know how that kid only needs like some love and some nurturing, some, some quality time because they're coming around throughout the last couple of weeks and then I see something bad happen, and it's just, it's gut-wrenching. And, it, uh, and it's too triggering for me. Uh, I don't want to deal with it. And I know that I can't mm. deal with it. And so I, I, I don't. I check out of that. So I have fun, and I volunteer, but I couldn't do it as a, as a clinical job. Because uh, I wouldn't, and I probably would do fine. But I don't want to have to put myself in a position where I may do something unethical. Where mm. I may, like tell a parent to you know go after themselves and you know you ever touch this kid again i'll do something i don't ever have to be in that position because i know that my old school ass and how i was raised by my father and mother that's gonna come out mm -hmm. i remember i uh a kiddo this is close as i've ever gotten to checking a parent it was the summer and they're picking up all the kids right at st mary's picking up all the kids and and the parents said oh hey nazir I said, oh, how you doing? They said, I'm so-and-so's parent. I said, oh, okay, you know, I can't confirm or deny I know that is, but it's nice to meet you. Yep, and they just talk so much about you, and I said, oh, that's awesome. Uh, Why? Well, hopefully you have a good summer, and since they're doing so well, try not to fuck it up. Uh, and they just looked at me, and I was like, I should have said this. I'm going to walk away now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was young and I uh, didn't want them to mess up what I just did with this young woman um, over the last year.
but ended up being a wonderful relationship. They did well. The mother did well. We got forms, releases to talk because there was things that we needed to talk through. Um, but yeah, I can shut it off. Can't shut it off. It just depends. If I'm being honest these days, I'm such in this weird psychological state where I'm so just grateful that me and, uh, uh, Dr. Lakeef has just gotten done with school. I'm not glad that's yeah. done with. I'm glad I'm moving on to the next chapter. Uh, yeah, I'm in this gratitude, like weird phase and like everything's like triggering and I'm fucking crying all the time during my workouts. It's intense. I can't, if it's a more than a three minute drive down the road, I'm crying. It's not, it's been awesome. It's just happy tears, not sad tears, happy tears. So clients aren't seeping into my head. It's, it's other things. Good. Yes. I'm glad you're at a point where you go three minutes. You're like, <laughs> everyone's having babies. Everyone's healthy as shit. I'm like, none of this was supposed to happen. We were all yeah. supposed to be degenerates and probably dead. And so now I'm just sitting here like, this mm-hmm. is fucking awesome. And now I'm helping people. Me and you save lives. Like, I didn't predict this. Real quick. Did you predict that you were going to be someone nurture and save lives? I thought I was going to be a mediocre uh, politician. Oh. Okay. Well, all right. Way way better route. Way way better route. route. I would have been the one selling you drugs. So. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was going to be a mediocre, like, city council member, just do enough. And this is how um, jaded my view was for a long time until I went to college. Mm. I had ambitions, but they were also really, really soaked in a lot of just kind of pessimism. I thought I was going to be a city council member, be mediocre, get reelected over and over again, have a nice pension in retirement, and do the bare minimum for wherever part of the city I was living at the time. Because I just kind of yeah. really thought that's all anybody ever did when they got into positions of power. Yep. Right. So to be, as you mentioned, to be in this space doing this, uh, like, 17 year old me is looking at 34 year old me now is like who the hell are you first off you're bald now that's number one <laughs> i was bald in high two, school so you're out here and you're you're out here and you're actually kind of helping people and talking about feelings and talking about uh, uh empathy and biases and implicit biases it's like who is this yeah. person and i look at yeah. that kid and i say to myself, i don't know but whoever he is i i actually like him I like him. I like him. That's good. I like him. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I don't know if I always like him, but I'm happy to see that he exists. I seen someone post on Facebook the other day, said in three words, what would you tell your pet previous self? What, what would you need to tell, right? And mine was just going to say, just don't, you know, just don't quit. Uh, just don't quit. And then I wrote more because I had to. And then I realized yeah. I was banned on Instagram because some bullshit. And I'm like, oh, well, I didn't even post. <laughs> <laughs> uh it was a stupid thing with our instagram we'll be back up and running completely by tuesday um they're just not letting me make comments and reply to people but yeah it's just don't quit folks um good times but me and lakeith and spencer are privileged enough to make it towards the end of a lot we still got a lot of struggles ahead of us don't get twisted but to be therapists to talking about shows and having fun to a couple hundred people that are going to listen to this, which I appreciate all of you and love all of you. Shout out Cali, Jersey, New York, Minnesota, top four places that listen to us. Um, it's a privilege. What's happening in Michigan? What's up? Yeah, they're struggling. It is what it is. Um, all right, let's get into that second scene. Um, yes. Real quick. The last scene is the third scene that we showed. Um, 
technically that scene is just showing Harrison Ford's character. He has Parkinson's um, and he does this 15 minute thing where he just lets himself be vulnerable. He cries. He gives out all his grief every day or whenever he needs to 15 minutes. He just lets it out. He teaches this to the other character's daughter. She does it. She's like sobbing. The dad walks in. He's like, what's going on? It's like, oh, no, I'm doing this practice. Um, and so I know uh, Dr. Keith wanted to talk about that because it was kind of funny. Um, the second scene itself is Harrison Ford's character got some awards. And his mm-hmm. baggage is he works all the time. And that's what led to a lot of mistrust and distrust and, and avoidance of his daughter. The relationship has kind of been severed. And so she starts to come around a little bit more. And then he lets her know that, hey, I've got Parkinson's. So she tries to become the protector. And he's like, hey, I'm not retiring. And she freaks out, leaves him, says, you're a piece of shit. You've never changed. It's always been. God, there was one scene. It was horrific in a good way. She said, everyone would always tell me how awesome you were as a clinician, that you were the most loving and kind and compassionate and intelligent individual and I would see you. I've never seen that person. I don't know who that person is. That's mm-hmm. how bad the relationship was. Uh, she felt so left out. And it was heartbreaking. Um, I feel like that's a, maybe a common thing with therapists. Uh, doctors, teachers. Uh, I think there's so much compassion fatigue that we get burned out. Um, and so we don't show up at home. So his character is going to get some award for retirement. And he kind of doesn't want to go to it because he doesn't want to retire. He thinks he doesn't think that he's old, still thinks he's got time to give. And his client, which is the janitor from Scrubs, who's like an evil character. So it's kind of weird to see him in the chair, Um, probably because he's so fucking evil. Uh, (laughs) Tight gassed at him now. Um, He said, hey, dude, you've actually helped me like my entire life. I was literally just trying not to kill myself when I first met you. And now I just come in here and we chat and philosophical and do you think I can pull off a leather coat? No? Okay. They have the relationship where they can be shitty with each other, which is with me, with many of my clients. Um, the one the other day, I said, yeah, me and Spencer are going to talk about, because they know we do the pod, we're going to talk about Avatar. Oh, they said the animator, the blue people. I said, the blue people? You racist little son of a gun. I'm not racist. I said, yeah, you would you people, huh? You people. Oh, you people. Okay. People. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. Okay. Need you check yourself, little white girl. (laughs) That's just a fact in general. Um, but it's actually funny because Harrison Ford and that guy were actually in the fugitive together. Oh, so, there you go. He has a brief cameo. Like, he was a cop in the train station. So they must so. have a, a relationship. Yeah, they're tight together. They must. And they actually brought up that scene in Scrubs. He was like, yeah, I was an extra in The Fugitive. And JD's like, no, you weren't. <laughs> and then it shows him actually being the cop. So, That's and awesome. They, I think he gets shot. But There you go. Um, yeah. And then it transitions over to uh, Gabby's character, where she's getting yeah. hyped up by her client as well and they're both empowering each other affirming each other validating each other which i think is fine to technically do right because people be like no you're a really good therapist i'm like go ahead we're just gonna sit in this moment and i'm just gonna accept on how much how good i do for you some of my clients would be like i graduated i'm like i get 10 percent of all your earnings in the future they're like what see lakeith don't don't co-sign any of this but i'm not gonna lie one day i will be sued and it will be bad 
Um, we need uh, Keith Sutton to come in and uh, yeah. testify. <laughs> I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing. Everything that I know is all right there on the podcast. Right? Yeah, true. <laughs> See, it is. Yeah. Stool pigeon. I'm watching you. <laughs> um, and uh, it's just awesome. And I think one point I wanted to point out is that is, you know, she goes through a lot of stuff, um, a lot of stuff, and she still shows up to work, does her thing. Uh, yeah. Lastly, is they talk about her being a black condition and the client driving 90 minutes. That's a long time. Uh, and so I kind of want to dive into that too. So that's kind of the scene. And then obviously my side quest that we took on that, obviously, uh, Lakeith, now you know that we go on side quests. Yes. So many side quests. So many. Side quests. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah. And here, there's like 50 more in here that we should have went on of. Most of them would be unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. There's no main plot for our video game. It's all side quests. It's like, all side quests. <laughs> that's it's what's just... built around. It's like side quests, and then I guess we'll have a main story. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much you guys are like the living version of like when Pokemon was first introduced to Game Boy. So like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. The side quests to actually get the, the actual badges from the gyms before you even did that. You there you go. Field. I have to find a bike. I don't even know where I have to find where to learn cut at. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know where it is. Yeah. All right. I feel like my brain works. My ADHD neurodivergence works like Grand Theft Auto. Except for there's no main plot and it's just a bunch of weird shit. And then eventually I just give up playing the game because I'm bored. <laughs> and so nothing ever gets done. What's the ending to this? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I just went on a murder spree, and the cops were chasing me, and then I hit bumper left, bumper left, and now I'm good. So, okay, side quest done. Lucky, <laughs> let's get into um, let's get into your thoughts about them as therapists, maybe them being affirmed, or maybe them dealing with all their stuff. You can kind of go in any direction that you want with this. And then also maybe how to use a therapist, compartmentalize, ground, right? I think that's why I want to go with this, to show the human side that we're not robots, we deal with shit, we try our best. Yeah. Well, I, the one thing I would say that without a shadow of a doubt, in my opinion, that they got 100% correct and down was the personal lives of these clinicians, hmm. because these are realities that we face in our personal lives that we have to compartmentalize to an extent to show up into our sessions. And some things we can't even compartmentalize. As you mentioned earlier, sometimes we have to actually reach out to clients and say, look, I'm going to take a step away because I have this going on. I have my own physical health that may be deteriorating. I may be falling into the role of becoming a caregiver, or I may have all these other personal things going on that require a lot of my energy, a lot of my time, a lot of my emotions. And what I liked about the characters was the fact that for all three of them, it wasn't this case of like, oh, it's this clinician that just shows up and just seems so well put together and has all the right words. And even when they don't have the right words, they have the right words and the right approach to make you think like, oh, wow, you just nodded your head a little bit. Now I'm thinking for myself. That's amazing, right? No, they didn't didn't do that. It, it gave you more nuanced characters um, that made you fall in love with them and appreciate how they do show up as far as like, with their clinicians. Like you have Harrison Ford. I love him because the fact that if you look at the cast, 
it's like they represent the spectrum of where you where you transition into throughout your career. Yep. So if Jason Segel and um, Jessica Williams' characters are kind of like somewhere towards like the middle or beginning parts of their career, Harrison Ford represents when you become like a seasoned clinician and you really have that 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 weird thing that happens when you get older, which is you have all this time to look back on. And how that becomes a gift and how that becomes a curse. A gift in the sense of you are able to kind of look back and he does and do what he does very well, impart wisdom. Right? He imparts wisdom yep. in his, into his team. He does in a very funny, you know, grumpy old man type of way, but it's still very awesome. But he imparts wisdom and he supports them. But it's also a curse in the sense of they introduce the character of his daughter as a what happens when you become just so overly invested or ambitious about this quest or this purpose that you have to help other people that it blinds you to the other people who need you just as much? Because from what I'm seeing and watching the series, Harrison Ford is this amazing therapist, amazing clinician. All this time and energy has been put towards that so much so that he has earned the respect of his peers, colleagues, yep. and even clients. But then you run into his daughter and it's a case of, I, as she as she eloquently said in that scene, I didn't see any of that. So it goes to show you, you know, you can be overly invested in your in your calling because I think to be a therapist is a calling that you completely neglect all the other things that are important to your life. And so you see Harrison Ford in this space and it's like where he's actually struggling with like, well, what does it mean to have a personal life? Because that's that's his thing in this. You can see yep. like this is a man who's been so openly invested in being a therapist. He does not want to retire for the simple fact that. What am I supposed to do with myself when this is all I've ever given all my energy to? I haven't warded the relationship with my daughter. I'm divorced. I don't really have as many friends. But what I love about it is that you see him start to develop not just this mentor type of relationship he had with the two other clinicians. They actually end up starting becoming his friends. Mm-hmm. When he's not able to drive, Jessica Williams' character actually drives him to him from their office. Yeah. Um, he has this beautiful relationship with um, Jason Siegel's daughter and actually has become like this solid support for her as she's also trying to understand grief and loss as far as like losing her mom. So you witness that. And then with Jason Siegel's character and Jessica Williams' character, I love them. I shout to millennials. Um, you just get to see what it is to be like 30-something, 40-something, trying to be a professional, trying to maintain healthy romantic relationships, and those sometimes just don't work out. And yep. with, with the reasons why they don't work out or trying to be a parent and not mess that up or, you know, screw that up and still love your kids, even though you've probably done damage, which Jason Siegel's character did. Yep. And still try to show up as a professional. I love the fact that these are nuanced characters. And hopefully when people are watching it, they understand, wow. So is this like the secret life of therapists? And maybe I should, maybe I need to consider maybe my therapist isn't just coming from a place of just training and school and education. But he's also, they are also coming from a space of like, well, you know, combining all of that with empathy rooted in even some of our own personal experiences that allow us to show up, not just as someone who just says, okay, uh, do this intervention, uh, mindfulness, let's meditate, who also shows up and actually is willing to engage with you and your humanity because we experience our own humanity. Facts. Very well said. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not going to put a lot of, uh, uh, what, what was something funny I'm going to say? What's that stuff you put on cakes? I'm not going to put no more frosting on that. That was well frosted. Yeah, I'm not going to go frosting. I always got to be talking about some type of food. Well, I'm it's hungry. Chicken, so. <laughs> frosting, like. 
all my Worms. favorite things. Yeah. All, if I can uh, why out not it. combine the two? Chicken frosting. If, if they could find, because you know, you, you know, here we deep fry everything. If they could find a way of like deep frying chicken and cake batter with icing on top, I'll be the first candidate to try that. Hey, hey, be the first one. I'm not gonna lie, all three of us would walk out of there, no feet from the yeah. diabetes. <laughs> You'd be worth it. It'd be worth it. My left ventricle just. <laughs> is that frosted? Uh, ah, nom, nom, nom. Uh, what I was going to uh, co-sign was everything was well done. Yes, and you see us as these humans. What I was going to say is, 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 is I would argue that every client needs their own flavor of therapist. Some of them mm -hmm. want that more stoic, more regimented, but majority of the time, I feel like those that are authentic and they feel they can be comfortable with you because of the human that you are with all that knowledge and all that data bank, not that they know all your life, but that you just feel real in that place that you're not masking and then telling them to unmask with you. You see uh, Jessica, uh, character in there. She goes, I like when you swear. And she's like, yeah, girl, that's why I do this shit. Right. And I mean, my clients, I test that out too. I'll go over confidentiality. Um, hey, so, you know, it's federal law. They have to read this out loud to you just in case you don't understand what you just signed. But these are the reasons why I break confidentiality. Dun, 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 dun. So if you were to hurt yourself, but specifically, you know, you know I'm going to take my own life tonight, blah, blah, blah. And then I say, well, let's say, because we're on a college campus, you're going to hurt someone in your room. So let's say your roommate, like, I'm sick of that bitch. I'm going to kill her tonight. And my students will always laugh, like, damn. Um, I try to season things to see where their personality is, and then they see that I'm real. Also, in my room, me and Spencer have talked about it, me being an neurodivergent, many of my clients, they see how nerdy it is. I got Legos. I got tons of fidget toys. I got memes that are on the wall, right? Uh, comic books. There's just a lot of stuff. And people will point to things like, why is this here? I know that these are the gifts that clients have given me over the last eight, nine years. My job is more than just a job. This is, like you said, uh, a passion. This is a gift. This is, this is something bigger. Uh, this is a calling. This is something. Um, I understand Harrison Ford's character, man. He's good at one thing. He's good at doing therapy. So why, why change it up? If you're really good with your fastball, keep throwing that thing till your arm burns out. But maybe it's not the healthiest. But I can understand where he's coming from. Where you're like, I'm just going to do this really well. But everything else can go off itself. Why would you want to feel incompetent in something when you're competent in something? Not saying it's the right thing. I'm just saying I, I understand where it's coming from as a clinician. Right. Um, so that, that's what I was going to say. Everyone's got their own flavor. Uh, find someone that works for you. What we talked about with Vicky before on the podcast. If you're working mm -hmm. with a therapist and you feel like your needs are getting met, or they're not being specific, a lot of my neurodivergent folks that are listening... Ask for that specificity. Ask for more like direction or step-by-step -step approaches. If you're setting up goals and plans and treatments, ask for it to be more itemized. You can do that. If you want more listening and them to just co-sign some things, then you can figure out how to ask for that too. Um, if you feel like you can't, you're not the best articulator in therapy, make sure you start writing down a list of things that you want to go through in therapy, and then you can then have them read that list and you can go from there. If you want to submit journal articles to them being neurodivergent, then you're more than welcome doing that. Uh, if you want to do virtual and you're not comfortable with that, you're more than welcome to turn it off the screen and just submit your questions via text. And then you have a dialogue after you submit the text in Zoom. 
There's ways to advocate for yourself to get your therapist to do kind of what you want if you actually like them. What did, what did Olympia say in our last pod? She said, you know, you can try, you know, if you don't like the first, second, third, 17th therapist. I said, Olympia, <laughs> after 17 therapists, you're the issue. <laughs> no, it's after five. It's like, damn. All right. Yeah. Well, but, but no, you're getting at something that's very, you're getting at something that's very real that I don't think that we we do well as clinicians as far as working with clients, which is letting them know that, look, we can tailor this. We can tailor this therapy in a way that makes sense to you. Now, of course, explain to them the tailoring, depending on our skill set and our comfortability, it may Correct. not include us as their clinician, it may include someone else as their clinician, so another clinician to work with them, but we can still tailor therapy in a way that makes sense to you. Like, for instance, I do enjoy working with teenagers and little kids. I like for them to feel empowered about their therapy. What do you want therapy to be? It's like, do you want to sit in this room and you want to talk to me? Okay, what you want to do with via telehealth? Okay, that's fine. Or would you rather go outside and we play basketball? Or we go walking? Or would you like to sit in here and you want us to do some crafts and we talk? Or do you want to actually sit and we play some video games and we talk about how your day is going? It's giving them the space to create collaboratively with you what it is that they need to feel comfortable to open up and talk to you about their shit to kind of really help them in a meaningful type of way. But, um, I trust you now. Exactly. But, but I think oftentimes we don't do that. Not because we don't want to, I think sometimes we don't do it because we're not taught that we can do that with our clients, that we're always kind of in that space. We're afraid of like, Oh, well, this might not actually be therapeutic or, oh, this may not actually be uh, um, ethical. And I'm always thinking to myself, unless you're taking this client to your house or having them in the space where anyone can hear their conversation, I don't think there's really too much of an ethical issue here. If it's a situation like you're concerned about whether or not they're paying attention, because it might be some sort of distraction what you're doing, Mm -hmm. that's okay. You can have a conversation with them about if it is a distraction and kind of come up with something else. But I think we're always just kind of worried about like, well, is this clinical enough or is this uh, therapeutic enough that we just kind of forget like sometimes the clinical intervention or therapeutic intervention is probably the most the simplest thing that's available to us as in this kid opens up and talks to me we're playing games and guess what i guess during therapy sessions we're playing games or yes if i connect to me over music we can sit and we can sit in your sessions and you can share songs that describe to me what it is you've been going through recently or what it is you've been going through this week or what you found and why it really resonates with you on a real personal and emotional level so much so that you want to share it here it's working with our clients to kind of tailor therapy in a way that's actually well therapeutic for them anyone that's no divergent listening to this just was like i like him ah <laughs> uh. You'd be surprised in how long we've talked about video games, comics, music, and I'd be like, oh, this is a good song. And right, I'll co-sign it being a good song. And then next week, so I'm like, we need to talk about this fucking song you sent me. And they'll be like, they'll be like, what do you mean? Has it this whole song talking about killing yourself? So uh we, we need to talk about that. We we need to we're going we we we, we we what are you talking about now? Uh, you know. So now we're gonna have to do a safety plan. I'm gonna have to ask some stuff, intrusive thoughts, and we're gonna have to itemize this and make sure everything's better. Oh no, no, it's just a song. Well, no, you you sent it to me, and I get it. And I love that you did that. But now this has more meaning. So what's actually coming out when this when this plays? And so uh I love doing these things. I remember my boss way back at St. Mary's, she had a client, she said, No, nah, he ain't coming to the office, Nas. So okay. I said, Do you mind if I go for a walk on a track with them? Do your thing. 
I said, you're going to, you're going to protect me, right? If I do this. And as she said, Nas, nah, do your thing. And that's what we did. We would walk down the track at, at Mary's, uh, with this one client and we did it for a couple sessions, you know, and then that was it. He was done. He, 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 he timed out of it, which is fine. But I was one of the first clinicians to, to get a hold of him. Um, it's not going to be like that in all therapies, right? Most of it's going to be in the office or Zoom. But it's cool to have people know that you can tailor it or refer out. Uh, so as we look at these scenes, um, Spencer, I'm going to kick it to you, and then we'll kind of probably do a recap and get out of here. Um, mm. I think you maybe see why I like this show. There's yeah. a seagulls like kind of a, you know, lack of a better word for me. I'm going to go with my favorite word. He's kind of a crackhead. Um, and he likes to have some fun and he's weird and he does the dances and he's got this one guy training UFC. And he's weird. And you see yeah. why I like her. If you watch the show longer, you'll see a lot more jokes, super vivacious, yeah. loving, right? Um, mm. And then you've got Harrison Ford's character that also starting to become more me where I'm in that that father role and a lot of like interns and, and I can click on that very stoic, stoic wise Gandalf type of mode. Uh, mm -hmm. Shout out to Gandalf fans. Here we so, go. Silver Fox. Rings last week and I was like, Gandalf. Silver Fox. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've seen a few scenes now. Can you see why I would be attracted to this? And then do you think that you would actually watch it now as a show after you see some of the characters and the funny stuff? Yeah, I think so. Because um, I definitely see why you like it. It's honestly not too, doesn't seem like it's too dark from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, it's very lighthearted. Um, that's why I kind of like Ted Lasso um, in a lot of ways because it... Um, not only was uh, had joyful moments, but it also had some really deep moments that you could really connect with. And then um, you you know it's it made watching things a lot easier because sometimes some shows just be like too dark and like why am I watching this? This is depressing. yes, so bad. Um, but I I always like. I always love to have like a little bit of comedy um, in what I'm watching. Um, and so, yeah, I would definitely check this out and would probably love it. Be like, where's season two? Where is it? Yeah. And hopefully they come with it because there's a lot of good cliffhangers in there. Um, right. Anything else you wanted to bring up, uh, Doc? Anything else you wanted to pitch around or kick around on the pitch if we're going Ted Lasso references? Oh, well, honestly, with the series, oh, oh, I'm sorry, are we talking about the series? Or are we just talking in general. You can go with the entire series. You can go this scene. You can whatever you want. This is kind of remember in gym class in elementary they call free play. This is what it is. Yeah. Exactly. Well, what I wanted to focus in on uh, was that piece of advice that Harrison Ford's character gave about the 15 minutes of a. Uh, Reading, yeah. you know, just kind of cutting on your timer, being in your space, your safe space physically, uh, and just allowing yourself to kind of grieve. Now, the running joke in this movie, I mean, this series was, of course, you have to have some sort of sad song playing in the background yeah. to stir up those emotions, um, yeah. which I guess one could do that. But I want to talk about that as an actual tool. And the reason why I wanted to bring that up was because I actually am currently working with a client who mentioned the series to me. I actually mentioned that uh, they're utilizing 
mm-hmm. that approach because this client has some um, some grief over uh, a loss. And there, I was like, first I was like, first off, wow, you really watched the show. You watched all the episodes, awesome. And then told me they actually utilized the technique. And much to somewhat my surprise, uh, they enjoyed it. They're like, no, it's actually helpful. It actually yeah. allows me to have time to kind of focus exclusively on my grief it gives me that space to where it's like i can't run from it i can't hide from it i have to really kind of face it but it's not so long to where i'm stuck in it it's just acknowledging it and acknowledging those feelings and then just kind of going on by my day so i was like no hey if that works for you by all means keep it going um but the reason why i like that but i also want to give caution to that is because as previously stated it does create a space where you get to grieve you get to confront those emotions feel those emotions uh, let them run their course, you know, through your body, through your soul, through your mind, and kind of release something that you otherwise would not allow yourself to release. So that's a good thing. But I always want to kind of precaution certain things because I, uh, my caution is grief is not one of those like linear things where it's just a path where it just kind of keeps going and goes forward. And it's just, you can go backwards, you can go backwards or forwards with it. Um, grief isn't quite like that. Grief is kind of, sporadic and it pops up at different times different spaces in our life and i always encourage people um in the early parts of their grief don't try to compartmentalize so that's what that 15 minutes does it allows you to compartmentalize your grief for those 15 minutes be able to deal with them address them and work through them and that's a great thing problem is as though that's usually a helpful tool for people who are a little bit further into their grief by that i mean it's been three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years. It's not very helpful in the beginning for this simple reason. When we first initially deal with grief, whatever the circumstances are, we are just learning what this particular grief looks like, what it feels like, how it manifests in us. The grief that you feel when you lose a parent is going to be different than the grief that you may have when you lose a friend or a lover or someone that you're really close with. And so initially we have to understand how this particular version of grief for us is going to look like in order to be able to really understand it. So with that, I would say in the beginning phases, don't compartmentalize, just kind of allow it to flow in the ways that it's going to flow so that you can understand it. And then once you begin to really understand it, then we can really kind of talk about what does it mean to create these spaces to where so like when it pops up, paying homage to the grief, and also working it out. But in the beginning parts, don't feel as though you have to box it off only because you're boxing off something you don't fully understand at this time. And that can be, that can do more damage than good if you're trying to box something in that you don't understand. It's kind of like boxing in a lion. It's like, okay, so have you ever boxed in a lion before? No, but I'm going to try it right now. Good luck with you in doing that. It's kind of like that. So you don't want to do that until you understand what exactly it is that you're up against when we're talking about uh, various forms of grief, if that makes sense. Yep. I, uh, when you said lion, I thought of Tiger King. I will never financially recover from this. <laughs> and one line, you yeah, just that one line. I just keep using it in every podcast. <laughs> but it's a good line. Not to mention the fact that have you guys seen like the TV movie they made based off of uh, the documentary? No. Oh gosh, you guys have to get on. I think it's like Peacock or Tubi, one of those networks. But like, no, they did it. It's. I would say it's just as hilarious as the documentary. Okay. And the cast that they chose makes perfect sense to play um, all okay. the different characters. Because I think right. they're just playing Carol. All right. Check it out. <laughs> uh, I was going to 
pivot on what you said, I could see where that could be a very valuable tool for someone that is compartmentalizing all day, every day. So a lot of our clients said, I got shit to do. Like this therapy and feelings, this feeling stuff, you Gen Zs, I got bills to pay, motherfucker. <laughs> right? You ma, you ma, you new age. I'm acting like my father right now. <laughs> Y'all got too many feelings. <laughs> um, so I could see it for someone that may be a little bit more older or has a lot to do and they're already kind of just not checked in their feelings or emotions at all and not allowing themselves to feel anything at all and probably had to plan the entire funeral or whatever happened and just don't feel anything, then this could be a good strategy for them to start opening that window with three minutes, five, 10 minutes, and then start processing some of that stuff in therapy. Otherwise, I co-sign everything you said, but I feel like that could be baby steps for someone that really doesn't touch any emotions. Uh, yes, I just started watching Lord of the Rings, so I finished it all. It was, it was like three or four days, watched like six movies. It was intense. Stay up to like 6 a.m. like two days in a row. I didn't even know the fuck I was. Uh, side quest. Um, and there's always like this butterfly thing with Gandalf. And I'm going to use this metaphor because I do this with clients all the time. If a thought comes, if you're working out, cycling, whatever you're doing, don't run from that thought or emotion. So most of us humans are, oh, boom, get distracted. I said, just chase it. And wherever it takes you, if you tank, you tank. Just kind of follow it, see where it goes. So you're not afraid of it every time it pops up. And if it's an intrusive thought where it's bad, just follow it, see where it goes. I, I do this a lot with my students with like pretty bad OCD too, to get them habituated to something, to get that intrusive thought to become less overstimulating. Um, I pictured this is somewhat of that scene where you get that 15 minutes to follow that butterfly, kind of see where it goes. If it goes nowhere, you're good. If you're in your emotions and you're deep in it, that it is. If you start to get a little panicky, it is what it is. Um, I could see myself doing that, and I've done that. Putting the timestamp of the 15 minutes, I have. I remember it was a long time ago. Client told one of my girls, so you get two minutes to cry, that's it. Suck the shit up, let's go. And they grew up like that, because I would notice in therapy, they could shut it on and off so quick. I'm like, what the f You were just sobbing. You were literally just sobbing. I've never seen anyone sob quite like that. And now you're good. How? Um, a lot of trauma um, in the life and course of life. And this was a very emotionally charged individual. Uh, and a little bit more volatile. And so that's why they also got referred to me. Because um, I'm good at working with anger. And specifically, you know, uh, people of color. And we ended up breaking past that fucking thing that they got programmed. Two minutes. Two minutes and you're done. Two minutes and you're done. I said, maybe we need longer than that. And if you don't need longer, then okay. Two minutes. Um, this is what that scene made me think of, right? The scenes, things, sayings, your verb, words make me think of things. And sometimes humans. Uh, if this helps you, awesome. If you feel like it's doing uh, what the doc is saying here, you know, you're, you're putting a timestamp on it and you still need to go or, right, you can't, you don't even know when grief's going to hit you, right, or, or emotions, right? The other day I was working in the garden and I thought of my mother and then there were some weird emotions that came up, right, and you follow it and then it's done. I couldn't have planned for that 15 minutes when I was gardening. Um, so, yeah, I think it could be a valuable tool for some folks. I think it could be a valuable tool if we think about it as a daily meditation instead of just a grief. 
So a daily time to practice to just sit down and debrief what the fuck just happened today. Today was a dumpster fire. Let's uh, when I go for my workout or my drive home, let me take 15 minutes, put on my good song. Which is right now for me, Imagine Dragons, my life, which is literally just like just just dumpster fire of emotions right now for me. Fucking Imagine Dragons. Bastards. Um, how dare you? I should sue them. If I crash, I'm suing them. I'm, I'm suing them. Sons of bitches. Um, I think all of us have those songs. Me and Spencer talked about in the last podcast with uh, Coco. What songs make you remember certain people? Um and trigger certain memories. So I think it could be a good ritual for people to practice for many different things, not specifically just grief. I do think it's funny how hard they cry when they play the songs, though. Like when Homeboy, the seagull dude's on his bicycle, he's sobbing, Spence. <gasps> and yeah. then he gets, he gets hit by a car. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. I think a car door opens and then he goes fucking flying over it. And it's, he's like... She's like, are you hurt? He's like, I was crying before this lady. <laughs> <laughs> They're also damaged, and yet good therapists. See what you want. I think what we learned from this, and this is what we'll leave on. You want a therapist that's been through a lot of trauma. <laughs> you have to really assess, hey, have you been through trauma? No? Yeah. Well, I can't work with you. Yeah, on the <laughs> you, you hand know, your you know the more trauma the better the more the, the better. more the more trauma the better you hand your therapist a scale so on a scale of zero to ten how broken are you <laughs> nine oh we're gonna get along just fine oh we're gonna trauma bond <laughs> Jesus Christ please don't do that people if you do that to your therapist they they will I'll kick you out I might actually entertain it because it'll be funny of course but... of course you will. <laughs> Yeah, I have to agree with uh, Dr. Dawson on that one. Just, just don't. Just don't. Yeah, don't. But it was funny to think about. Uh, we are more fun. <laughs> We're like flavored chicken. You know? Oh, my goodness. And on that note, on that we'll, repeat note. So. We'll give you high blood pressure, but we might solve your depression. It's a good trade off. It is. <laughs> really good. Really good. You're dying either uh, way, though, it sounds like. Either way, see oh, well, deliciousness or ow trauma, it yeah. hurts. Yeah. All right, so yeah, right, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Um, please check out Cure and Bub's Naturals. Go to their website and use DSP twenty to get twenty percent off your order. Yes. Um, also. Go and use our free self-help resources on our link tree. Um, a lot of great links. And then if you do use any of those, please tip a little bit. You know, just a little tip. Not asking for much. Just a little a sprinkle. Dollar yeah. more. A couple of pesos. You, you send 50 cents, I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you. Well, I'm not going to find you, but, you know, send a 50 I'll cents. I'll throw a quarter. I'll throw two quarters at your head if you send 50 cents. <laughs> hey, we're in a recession. I'll take it. <laughs> and of course thank you dr lakeith for coming on um great discussions um definitely could be talking to you for more than just an hour so just want to yep. say thank you for coming on and hope that your business goes even bigger than what it is right now because i feel like it's really needed at this time mm -hmm. so yep thank, yeah, thank you, you.
the opportunity and this wonderful podcast that you two have. It really is needed. And I love, I love your perspectives. There we go. See, someone doesn't think that we're psychopaths. So this was a good day. First one. First one. First <laughs> yeah. guest. Yeah, well, Doc, <laughs> turns out you're drunk. <laughs> yet. Not yet. But, but, Not yet. That's wow. later. Later. Father's Day. <laughs> All right. Jeez. All right. Thank you, folks. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right. That's the show. Different Spectrums. I'm Spencer. That's Nas. Bye. Much love, people. Appreciate you.